You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. From my Sunday school class years ago, and I should have told him 15 because I needed more. Well, I known he was going to be that ready, I would have asked for more. And, uh, and, 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 and that's something, too, about not asking I mean, just ask. And they can tell you no, but you can ask. And so we get on the last day. We owe like 15 left. And this lady calls me from Texas. And the people are calling me from Peru. And this lady calls me from Texas. She goes, I heard you're trying to buy this orphanage thing or this children's um, center thing. Um, how much do how much you need? We need 15000 She goes, oh, well, let me talk to my husband. We were going to give some money to this other thing. So she calls me back. She says, I'll tell you what, we're going to give you Five hundred dollars. I'm like, thanks. You know, you got to act nice and happy and everything. So I get the five hundred, whatever. So, and then about twenty minutes later, she calls me back. Well, we've been thinking about it. We got this kind of windfall a while back, and we'll give you fifteen hundred. I'm like, lady, you're helping, but not really. I go back. I call Strong again. He won't answer my calls. You know, I call all my friends. They're all blowing me off. Call Janice. She never answers the phones. Nobody's answering. You know, and uh, and so I pray. And I'm like, God, if this is what we're supposed to be doing, you'll provide her you won't. That lady calls back, same lady. I tell you what, me and my husband, we're going to give to this other thing. We'll give you 3000 And anyway, ultimately, she calls me about five times that day. And each time, she like doubles it. And finally, she gives me the, the whole rest, whatever it was. It was eight or 9000 whatever was left. And it was like 15 minutes before the deadline. And so... No, man. If he, if he comes through too early, you don't see it as his hand. I wish you guys would sit further back. Maybe you guys could just sit outside the back doors. I'm going to move down here. You guys are like the rescue mission. Come on. Help a guy out. I'm going to take them back three rows out and move you jokers up. No, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're here. Don't, don't leave. Um, so, so be in prayer. And um, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Fervent which means there's some heat in it. And effective, praying towards the word of God, and righteous, make sure your stuff don't stink. If your life is filled with sin, you got a bunch of secret jazz that you're concealing and hiding and, and trying to play with, get rid of it and repent and pray fervently and righteously and effectively, and God will move, and he will, and I believe that. So praying those things. Last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about peace, and I want to talk about more about peace, 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 marvelous peace. That John 14 is where we were. We're going to go back there just for a second. We're going to end up in Matthew 10. But John 14, we saw where it said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Not the peace that the world gives. It's very fragile, very frail, but my peace. And I pray that you had a peaceful time with family over Christmas and all. <clears throat> I just wanted to continue that idea of peace on earth, goodwill towards men, because it's a gift given by God to men. As we enter the new year, we need it. If we look at the world, if we look at our government, if we look at the laws they just passed, um, if look, the stuff that comes into effect, and it seems very oppressive. It is oppressive. Um, one year, uh, 2020, I had this big plan. I was like, 2020 vision for the year 2020. I wrote all this jazz on the board and then the pandemic, right? The only thing we saw was empty seats and 
sick people sitting at home, right? We got down to 17 people in here. And it was in 2019, and the church was rolling along pretty good. Things were going. People were coming. People were happy. And, um, and I, I had a dream, and I don't want to get too charismatic on you or anything, but I, I will say I believe it was from the Lord. And it was just a dream. And um, I was watching gold be refined, and I saw, or I heard, or I dreamed, or I thought that we're in, and that's what I heard, we're in for a time of refining. That was it. And then come the next Sunday, we had 100 people. And then 85 people, 89 people, 92 people, 78 people, 86 people. I know because Ray keeps track of the score there. And then COVID hits, and we get down to 17 people. And I thought, well, this is the refining right here. When we got the doors open, nobody's coming. People are afraid to leave. This is the refining, you know. And in the last six months, uh, we've seen, I, think I put a pencil to it the other day, but we've seen like 45 people leave our fellowship for one reason or other, families. And for whatever part that I share in the, in the problem, I mean, I, I understand. Uh, Pastor Renee told me, I'm, you're not a gold coin. You don't fit in everybody's pocket. And I, and I know. I know that I have uh, ways about myself that are offensive to people. I try not to be offensive, but, you know, just speaking the truth sometimes is quite offensive. I can promise you that your kids are safe with me. I can promise you, husbands, that your wives are safe with me. I got one. I, I got enough. I don't need another one. Uh, but, I can, but I can tell you that it's, it's more than that. It's, when you tell people that the things that they're doing is wrong, they get offended. Or if you, if you don't do things in a particular way, people can get offended. That's just how it is. It's the modern way. It's sad, but that's how it is. And I'm willing to shoulder whatever blame there is to take for one family or another leaving. However, people are also called to different ministries and God puts uh, a rock in a shoe to irritate the foot so that people move on. He did it with Peter. He did it with Silas. He did it with Paul. He did it with Barnabas. He moves people on into other areas where they can minister according to his mission that he has for them. So before you have negative thoughts towards one person or another that may have left or towards me, remember that God is the mover behind things that move. He's the creator behind things that are created. He's the, the designer that designs hearts and minds and spirits, and he's the one that directs the paths of men. Men plans his way, but God directs his steps. You, you think this is what you're going to do? I was in the Marine Corps. I thought I was going to be in the Marines for 25 years. And then Bill Clinton got in office. He said, no, sir. And they cut the Marine Corps by 50,000 people in one year, and I was one of the 50. I had all kind of decoration, had a lot of experience, had a lot of good things, and it was time for me to be somewhere else. And then when I pushed against that, God slammed the door in my face. I tried to go back in two different times, and both times the door was slammed in my face. It's not where I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be somewhere else. And so now I'm here today because the door was closed then for me to be here now. And I went to other churches, and I was developed in another church, and a pastor um, taught me well for 20 years, and I taught over there. I taught men over there for, I don't know, 10 years or more. And that, and that fellowship grew in the, amongst those men. And then God made an opportunity to plant a church here, and, and that's what I did. And I believe that I'm following the, the call of God as he's called on my life and told me to do these things. And I pray that you're coming along with me and that you see the good that can occur in these things. I really think 
that we need to move forward in, in reaching these children in our neighborhoods and with their children should come some parents. And I pray that you'll come alongside and be a part of that and, and help with the teaching in that. I was in, I'm going to tell you one war story. I don't, I try not to tell war stories because I never liked hearing other people's. But when I was in the Persian Gulf um, and we were walking into Kuwait, uh, a guy was killed with a grenade and it, and it badly injured the guy beside him. It happened maybe 100 yards behind me. And so we all stopped for a second, and then we load the dead guy up, and we load the wounded guy up. We had one Humvee. We walked uh, 44 miles in 11 and a half hours. I mean, we walked along with big backpacks, big, a lot of ammo um, going uh, in, that, in that time. And, uh, and so we loaded dead guy up, and we loaded wounded guy up. And I'm not trying to slight them. But the patrol was much bigger than an injury and a death. The battle that the believer is in every day is much greater than a single injured person or a single dead person. And the calling of Christ on people's life is to go ever forward. That's why it says it on the claymore, front towards enemy, so that you don't point it at yourself and blow it up. We're, we're in a war front towards enemy. We need to go forward towards the enemy. And in the battle, there's, in any battle, there's injuries and there's death. And it's, there's sorrow for a moment. We never had a funeral for, those guy, for that guy. We never did. There wasn't time for that. The enemy was out there. We had to go where the enemy was, not where the guy was already dead. That, he's just a dead weight now. And that sounds terrible, but that's how it is. And so with our fellowship, we need to Remember, front towards enemy and ever forward. And you that are believers and strong in the faith, you need to read your Bible more. You need to be devout more. You need to be pious more. You need to be fasting more. You need to be praying more. And in that, you'll be more fit and more capable and a better shot and a better speaker and better able to present the gospel of Christ to the nations and to reach other people in our fellowship, encouraging one another, developing one another, and then on the streets of Crossville. This is our part of our requirement. It said there when it was calling those, those first deacons there in Acts 6 that these men were called, but they were, they were from that community. They were deacons of that community, not just the church. I believe that they're deacons of the church. They're called to the community. The men of God in this church are called to the community of Crossville to preach the word, to save the lost, to rescue the perishing, to help the widow and the orphan, to speak to the prisoner in chains. And that's what we're to do. So I don't know how encouraged you were by that, but um, my piece I give to you from a couple weeks ago, but it was one of those messages that gets missed a lot of times, this peace of God that passes understanding that comes upon us as believers. Um, we read it and we pass through it, and it's, it's when we're seeking out answers from God when things happen uh, a lot of times, particularly those things that are outside of our control. One time I began to teach for a period of time on church discipline, and I prefaced it by saying, man, I hope we never have to do it. And I'm telling you, while we were teaching on it, there came an opportunity that was obvious that I should have addressed in a church discipline way. I wish I had never started reading that verse. It was painful. And then to have to go to people that have sin in their lives or have whatever, I don't even remember what the deal was now, but it was like, man, 
We read the word and it prepares us and then we got it in our toolbox so for we can go to work and work on the thing that he puts in front of us. So anyway, um, those things that are outside our control, we desire peace above all else. And like I said, it's one thing to be personally responsible for a lack of peace in your life. I mean, if I go steal a car, I can't really blame God for ending up in the, in the jail. Right? I, I did the thing. If I run my mouth and I injure someone, I can't, really be res- I can't really blame God for the discord among the brethren that I caused. So as, whatever part of that that I've caused, you know, I'm sorrowful for, but I still, we still got to move forward. Put the injured in the back and let's roll. There's people to care for the injured. There's people in the Humvee that care for the injured. Let him care for the injured. And you that are healthy, go about doing good, Okay. Uh, the peace that's given to men by the Lord is different from any peace brokered by men for sure. And I want you to grasp how it is that you can sink into the peace of God. The Bible says there'll be wars and rumors of war there in Matthew 24, 25, 26, right in there where Jesus is talking about the times that are coming, the negative times that are coming. And uh, the very worst peace that a man can muster is so much better than the very best war. That's an old kind of saying. The very best peace man can come up with is better than the very best war. And, or sorry, did I say the very worst peace? The very worst peace is better than the very best war. Um, that's the truth. It's never changed. Men-oriented peace, it doesn't last. They call it the Abraham Peace Accords that's going on in Israel right now, right? Meanwhile, people from Jordan and people from Syria and people from uh, uh right there uh, on the Gaza Strip and um, the Golan Heights and stuff, are shooting missiles into Israel. Pretty peaceful. Uh, pretty peaceful man-made peace. Um, it's just man can't keep the peace. He can't even keep his peace in his own family. can't keep a peace among nations. If you can't keep it in your house, how are you going to keep it with your neighbors? But it says uh, that we read... And I hope you pick this up, that the peace we need the most is the peace that's delivered to us by Christ. And it's a special peace that only he can give. And that's the two things was, first, it was his possession of peace that he gave to us. He possessed it, so he had to have ownership of the peace in order to give it away. And second was, it's the peace, the same kind of peace that he enjoys with the Father. It's a supernatural peace. It's not like men's peace. His peace is the same excellent and divine peace that was possessed by God since eternity past and forever future. And this God-given peace we discovered there in John 14 and through 16, that it was rooted in belief in him and his power to save men from their sins. Number two, it includes the helper, the Holy Spirit. Number three, it, this peace provides abundant joy to the believer. Number four, it provides a stable footing. We saw that John 16, one, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. And number five, it gives you endurance and persecution. And that's the thing I kind of want to bring to mind today because all this being true go ahead and turn to Matthew 10 34 through 42 so we just read that in John 14 27 it says peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give it let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid now go to Matthew 10 starting in verse 34 and you'll see a whole different animal it says Matthew 10 34 we're going to work on getting our scriptures up on the board here. We, we'll, we're going to try and figure that out. There's a way to do it, and we know it is. We're going to have to figure out our computer stuff there a little bit. Give us time. 
10.34, Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother. <clears throat> and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. <clears throat> he who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, surely I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Verse 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. The following that Jesus demands from us brings about a lack of peace. You're filled with his peace, but the peace that he's filled you with will bring about a lack of peace as you go about doing good in the nations. It's hard to reconcile. My peace I give to you, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. It's hard to reconcile those two. Since you went to Romans uh, 8, 6, you'd see, for to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You can have individual peace in your spirit and not have peace in your household, in your neighborhood, or in your nation, or among countries. There are... <clears throat> I had to kind of reason this out one time, and just in thinking this, but in World War II is a better example maybe because your Germans would have been Lutheran or Methodist in their, in their views often. You're just average German citizen. And then your Americans would have been whatever, motley mix between evangelicals, Christians, Baptists, Catholics, or whatever, but God-fearing people. So you have two groups of the most high God-fearing people killing each other over a third group God's chosen people and you say well how is that possible but could the German man who sees the American man possess Christ in his heart but in service to his country Germany squeeze the trigger and take the life of an American man who also in his heart in service to his country is trying to kill the German man is that possible it is. Because on earth there will be no peace. It's hard to understand that it could be so wicked that God-fearing men can kill one another and both be righteous. It doesn't seem possible, does it? They didn't lose their righteousness by being obedient to the authority figures that tells them, take your rifle and shoot that direction. You can ponder that one sometime just when you've got nothing else to do. But the gospel of Christ, which is the kingdom of heaven that's here on earth through God-fearing men and women, displaying the hope of salvation that Christ came as a baby, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, taking the wrath of God for all men for all time, rose again the third day, was buried dead in the grave, rose again the third day, and sits today at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us all. That hope, both in the current state on earth and in heaven above, that fact that the eternal Father rules and reigns from on high in a throne in heaven, looking down on men who he created, with Christ at his side, is an irritant to the world. It irritates the evil one. 
It breaks peace among men. Christ didn't come to bring peace but a sword. He brought believers into the operation. You're the special operators. You're, not, you're kind of flabby looking. You're out of shape. But if you know God's word, you can be like a Navy SEAL or a ninja in promoting. You don't have to be, you could be in a wheelchair and be a promoter of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. But know also that you're also a combat veteran if you speak the word in truth. As you defend God's name among the nations, those that hate him, you are a, a battle-hardened soldier of Christ that's doing his will. That's a, that's a pretty neat thing to think about. If you're feeling down, sorry I called you flabby, just know. First of the year, go get a gym membership. But um, the spiritually-minded man will be at peace with God even when he's not at peace with his fellow man. And that's the thing to, to kind of dwell on. I want you to go to 1 John. This was a hard verse, but it helped me to see, 1 John 4, it kind of helps us to see what I'm talking about, what we're dealing with. I think a lot of times we read those chapters like in Ephesians, you know, put on the whole army of God, or in, or in, uh, or in uh, uh, Isaiah, he put on zeal like a cloak. And we, you know, I mean, it sounds really studly and active and, and aggressive, and you know, I got my sword of truth, my, you know, my belt of truth, my sword of righteousness, and my, my, my feet shod with the gospels of peace, and those uh, brogans with the hobnails. I mean, I'm ready to go kick some booty. And then when we, but we don't, we don't come as ready as we think we are oftentimes to the battle that is every day. And I think it's because we don't recognize the battle as we should. Let me read 1 John 4. It says, uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them, because he who is in, the in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know that the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. A lot going on there. I want to focus just on uh, one through about six there. <clears throat> the human spirit that man is born with is of the sin nature. You are born, according to the Bible, dead in your trespasses and sin. You have a very weak will that only desires to take care of you. Ask any baby and he'll tell you, feed me, change me, let me go to sleep. Feed me, change me, let me go to sleep. Give me my toy, give me, give me. And those same selfish little devils that look, it's, I mean, God made them cute so he wouldn't kill them. That same little baby grows up into a selfish adult. He learns to control somewhat outwardly his selfishness, 
But if it comes down to it, you're going to protect you over everything else. That's the human spirit. It's what we are. But there's another spirit, and that's the spirit of Antichrist. This conflict of attacking the peace on earth comes from this spirit, the spirit of Antichrist. And it's a very old spirit. It came from before the time of Christ, because there was Antichrist, false Christ's, counter Christ before Christ in fact the Jews said well what about this other guy that was you know a while back and he had 400 men that followed him and, and he died and he went away if this man speaking of Jesus is really the Messiah he'll stand the test of time many false prophets have gone out into the world those false prophets have the spirit of Antichrist on them they speak false things they speak as the evil one would have them to speak by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now already in the world. He's been in the world for thousands of years, this spirit. It's a supernatural spirit. It indwells men. It is, it, there's no other explanation that I could come up with or you could come up with either that could make a, a, a governor of a state say to take a baby born alive, set it on a table and let it die. That's got to be a demonic spirit. That's not of God. This, this Klaus Schwab guy, listen to that guy. I'm going to put you under one rule government and I'm going to take all your money, and you're going to like it. You're going to have nothing, and you're going to like it. Oh, well, that's not of God. He provides our daily bread. He provides our every need. He provides our spiritual needs, our emotional needs. That guy wants to take, and God wants to give. So there's a spirit of Antichrist. It's had thousands of years to mature. It knows every weakness of men and how men fail and what men's tripping hazards are. And so it can go, you only live at best 100 years, and then that's not that great to last 20 of that or 30, depending on your health. <laughs> he knows what trips us up. And he just produces that. He's like, oh, here's a Charlie Alpha. Seen one of these guys 2,000 years ago. He acted just like this. All I got to do is put this in his path, and he'll fall and, and fall into that. And he does, and we do. And that's what the Antichrist does. That's what the spirit of this age does. The human spirit that's born in man in my opinion, I can't prove this, but I can prove it in like this. You're either going to be directed by the spirit of Antichrist, your human spirit, or you're going to be directed by the Holy Spirit. You think you're so tough, but all I got to do is uh, jerk out your pinky toenail and you'll fall on the ground and cry like a baby. And you'll cry out to someone to help you because <laughs> that's what you do because we're weak. And so our spirit is either aligned with the Holy Spirit of Christ or it's aligned with the Antichrist. Can you be aligned with the Antichrist, the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world, and be a believer? You can. It's called carnal Christianity. It's where you, you can be filled with this. You can have salvation maybe. But when you begin to follow the way of the world and reject the teachings of God, reject Christ in everything that you do, question everything that he says, question his righteousness, question his truthfulness, question his existence, then you're being led by the spirit of Antichrist. I'm not saying it indwells you. I'm saying you're being led by it. 
There's a lot of people that I've seen that maybe they accepted Christ young, but they never grew spiritually, and they live a life that's completely carnal and of the world. And when you go to those people, you say, you're living as of the world. Your, your cell phone completely controls you. Pornography is wrong. For you to live with this person you're not married to is wrong. Um, or whatever. And they will justify their behavior in every way and come back to God is love or something like that and give you a little speech about how you're so judgmental or something. And the reality is they've been led astray. The Bible says if these days weren't shortened, even the elect would be swayed. The spirit of Antichrist is very powerful. And many believers are so weak spiritually, they have so little of the Holy Spirit in them, they have so little knowledge of who God is, that they follow the spirit of Antichrist, maybe even unknowingly, because it's our flesh, and we like to do what our flesh likes to do. That's what we do. It's how we are. According to 1 John, we're either controlled by one spirit or the other. There's no other options available. And so we need to measure it every day because the battle that we are battling is not a battle of flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers, things that are outside of this thing that we can touch and this age that we can see and touch and experience. And so when we get up each day to prepare and put on our clothes, we got to know that today could be the day that the grenade gets us. Christians die every day. Good people die every day. Good pastors. Um, I, I just found out this morning, Renetta, that my Uncle John um, has been having many strokes and has had a number of them up, and he didn't tell anybody until because he didn't want to harm this party they had. John and Martha, um, they didn't want to harm this party that they were going to have and um, to celebrate her birthday. I mean, he's a man of God. He reads the Bible. He knows, I don't, can't tell you how many times he's read through the Bible. Can't tell you how many times he's preached the gospel. Can't tell you how many times that he um, uh, has witnessed to people or led people to Christ. I can't tell you how many times he's brought people in his home. He's a good Christian man. But the grenade's been thrown. And somebody's going to have to pick up the body and take care of it. And the rest are going to have to go on. Because the spirit of Antichrist is very powerful, and he takes out a general, somebody's going to have to move up. Good pastors have passed away. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on uh, Chuck Swindoll and Charles Stanley and, and John MacArthur's 87, 8 years old. I don't know how old he is. He's old. They don't live forever. Somebody's got to take the reins of the preaching of the word and go forward. And if not, it shrivels up and dies, and the power of Antichrist grows. And there will be a day when there will be an Antichrist in the flesh, in a human form, that comes back from the dead somehow, and he will reign on this earth, and every knee will bow to him on earth, or they won't eat and they won't live. And many Christians will take the mark, just like unbelievers do, out of fear, out of lack of knowledge, out of weakness, out of fleshliness, whatever. And I bring you that to tell you this. Um, if you don't want to be dominated by evil, then you either got to be terrifying, terrifying in your personal appearance, you got to be a big muscle man with lots of weapons, or you can be a little skinny, wormy guy that has possession of a nuclear bomb. Other than that, you're going to be oppressed. But in that oppression, you can have peace that God gives that surpasses understanding. A stability and peace that you will not have 
watching the things of the world as they come upon us, watching sickness take a family member, watching weakness take us in old age. Um, I, didn't, I didn't used to uh, I think about things like that. Um, it sounds crazy, um, but I do think about those things. There was a day when I really didn't fear that many people. Um, I was very capable of defending myself and things like that. And now I know I better, I better finish it quick or <laughs> they're going to take me out. I'm old and I'm not flexible. And uh, so if you're going to give me a hard time, I'm going to shoot you. Um, we're not going to wrestle first. Because those, and, and it talks about that in, in Ecclesiastes. As you get older, you begin to fear things that you didn't fear before. You fear the night. You fear the sounds of the night. You fear those that are younger than you. You fear height. You fear those things because you can't, you can't do anything about it like when you were young. I used to jump off of everything, jump off a trailer, jump off this, jump off that. I used to play basketball. Man, I wouldn't jump off of a marshmallow right now. I'd kill myself. I'd hurt my knee or hurt my back or whatever. Our, uh, the battle is not a, a physical battle. It's so hard for believers to get. They're all thinking that it's going to be this really obvious thing. But it's not. It's a supernatural thing. And you need to be connected supernaturally. You need to have your supernatural eyes opened so that you can see that the battle that you're in is not with flesh and blood. It's called discernment. And that's what he talks about here. Where of God? We who know God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. We know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. People give us a hard time about being judgmental. You're not, they took a good word and they manipulated it to control you. To see evil and not speak is weakness. It's not judgmental to see evil and say that's wrong. It's not judgmental to see someone in danger of death and say, hey, man, step away from the cliff, dude. There's ice on the cliff. Step away. Move back. That's not judgmental. Hey, man, I'm free. I'm American. Yeah, you're free. You're free to be a dummy. But I'm telling you, you're too close to the edge, and it's not going to end well. I see these people, um, and it, it really, truly, in my mind, it's been my experience, that when you see these young people, and they got bright green hair, bright purple hair, and so those people have got so much going on emotionally, spiritually, they are ruined. They are completely broken. And nobody has the guts to go to them and say, man, what is eating you? You know the poisonous frogs? Did I tell you this one? All the poisonous frogs are real brightly covered, right? You're not supposed to lick the poison frog because he tells you he's bright orange, bright yellow. That's those people with that hair like that. They're very dangerous. They don't, they're so lost. They're so injured. And it makes us afraid to touch them. But those people are desperate to hear that they're lost. They don't know that they're lost. But somebody's got to tell them. Amen. Man, something's messed up. What's going on? Somebody hurt you. Somebody's molested you. Somebody's attacked you. You don't know who you are. You know, give them a starting point And then lead them to Christ. But to avoid them and to ignore them, it's not the answer. It's not judgmental to pass by a person you know, over their head in water and not to throw them a life raft. And I think we're doing that. We, we, it's discernment. It's warning. It's the watchman on the wall. Be a watchman. Don't let the world change the dictionary. It's important for us in judgment that we test the spirit. We judge things every day. That's why we stay on our half of the road because we know that if we make a bad judgment call and cross the line, it's going to hurt when we hit the other car. 
make judgments on what clothes we wear, what pills we take, what whatever we do every day. We may, it's okay to be judgmental, not looking down on something, but warning the lost and warning the desperate. And in that, like it says, he didn't bring peace but a sword. It's going to cause some conflict. It's going to cause some irritation. But there's people to take care of the wounded. Go and do battle. Let the people that care for the wounded care for the wounded. You don't have to be belligerent or boorish, but you can at least tell them that they're doomed. Warn them. We're only at peace when we're walking in the Spirit as we're commanded by Christ. And this peace, it's going to bring us conflict. The peace, the internal peace, people don't want to see a person at peace. They want irritation. They want drama. They want that. They don't want peace. Um, so our peace is based on Messiah. Um, it's his peace that he freely shared with us, and we're to freely share with other people. And it's in these seemingly negative words like judgment or conflict, battles, and antichrist that we're able to discern the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We've got to be aware that they're there um, um, so that we can defend against them. Those military guys, they, you know, the bad guys, they wear camouflage too. Both sides wear camouflage. So it's hard to see. It's hard to discern them out there in the woods sneaking around. They wear face paint so their face doesn't glow. Hiding, blending, and deceiving. That's good camouflage. Shape, shine, contrast with the background of movement. That's bad camouflage. There you go. So hide, blend, and deceive and sneak up on the enemy and take them out. Preach the word to them. You can make an enemy an ally by preaching the word to them. Make them a double agent. Our peace based on Messiah. And we're able to discern these wicked things that happen in the world and be able to identify which is the spirit of truth and which is the spirit of error. When they tell me that taking a baby and setting it on a table and letting it die is good, I can easily discern that but somehow, 30, 40, 50% of the population cannot, it tells you that there is a spirit of Antichrist on these people. If you can take a baby and watch it die, you have no discernment. And you need someone to help you be discerning. And that's your job as believers. In John 4, 5, 4 5, and 6 there, there's not, we're not going to find any peace outside of Christ. You are of God, little children. You have overcome them, the Antichrist bunch. The victory's already there because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You got all the weapons. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world. They're not going to talk like you talk. They're not going to think how you think. And when you produce things to them, they're going to be like, that's craziness. Because they're so lost and so beat down. The world hears them, it says. It's how the world operates. The spirit of Antichrist is very powerful. But we are of God, verse 6. He who knows God hears us. When I talk to another person who knows of God, we both end up stopping and speaking about things of God. And it's like when you go to another state and you see a guy with a UT shirt on, you're like, hey, you're from UT, I mean, Tennessee. And they're like, yeah, I'm from Tennessee. Where are you from? Clarksville. I'm from Crossville. Oh, yeah, my mother, aunt, whatever, lives in Fairfield. That's what they always say. Somebody lives in Fairfield that they know. We know there are, there, there are people. 
We see them. We see them out. We recognize them. We speak to them about godly things. We encourage them. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. When I talk to somebody and they seem like a good person, and I begin to talk to them about spiritual things, and they want to change the subject, they want to evade, or they want to get away, I know that they're not of God, and they, they do not possess the Holy Spirit. And in that, I can either speak to them a little bit more as they're walking away, like the guy drove off on me at the gas station, I was talking to him, gave him a Bible track, and got mad and drove off, uh, whatever, yelling the way by, see you church Sunday, whatever, he's driving off. Anyway, test the spirits. There's no peace outside of Christ. Any seemingly found peace without the Prince of Peace is temporary and will not stand in the day of trial. He is our peace. Therefore, you can't go back to trying to keep the law. The law is there. The law is key. It's important. We need to know the law because we want to be obedient to the law. We need to know God's commands. We want to be obedient to his command. But those aren't what gives us peace. The only peace that we have is that when we pass... The Lord is going to take us and he's going to put us in his, in his bosom and we're going to be there with him wherever he is. And we're going to be part of that supernatural eternal army. We'll be on the other side of the battle. We'll be able to see better. We'll be super, super Navy SEALs. Anyway, he's our peace. Um, so I, I, I read this little prayer and I'll read it to you, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll take communion together. But it says, you'll never possess peace until you possess Christ. What a blessed beginning to this new year if you were to truly seek Yeshua Messiah um, today. You don't have to go far to find him. Cry out to him in repentance and faith and say, Savior, I want your peace. That peace that I can never have unless I find it in you. Lord, I trust you. Manifest yourself to me this moment and say to my soul, I am your salvation. May the Lord grant this to you this day. And it does seem odd that we should need to persuade men to think of their own eternal interests and to care for their soul in this way, but we're so foolish that we let the things of this earth attract us to everything but Christ. And I pray that the Lord Jesus today will save you through his infinite mercy's sake. Um that you won't be distracted by the, the things of earth, that they truly will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you don't know the glory and grace of God, then the things of the earth will attract you. If you're a believer who's spending no time in prayer, no time in the word, no time listening to the word, no time in fear and trepidation before the most high God who has the very power over you to take your breath and to cast you into the outer darkness, and I pray today is the day of your salvation and that you repent. You're putting yourself at great peril to exist in a life like that. You say, well, I'm saved. When I was five, I accepted Christ and I said a good prayer and, and then I was at summer camp and this and that happened. And then um, it, it says, um, examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. What's the examination? Are you producing any fruit? If there's no fruit, you're a dead tree. So go and measure that in yourself. It's early, first day of the year. But we don't know what, you don't know if you've got tomorrow, so measure yourself today, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. We present you the word that was spoken. I pray that was the word you had for us today. <clears throat> I pray that there was understanding in the hearing of the word. 
that people received the word in the, in the way it was given. Father, I thank you for your goodness towards us, your care for us. I pray that there be one here today whose, whose walk is fragile, is unstable. I pray that today they're pricked in their heart to be repentant and to seek you, Lord. I pray that today is the day of their salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, your care for us, your long-suffering towards us. I thank you for this, this time of communion together, Lord. And we give you all the honor, glory, and praise as we commend the spirit of this day and this service to you. In Jesus' name, amen.